Well, it's great to be here. We actually, Casey and I, my wife and I, we weren't here last Sunday. We were actually on vacation uh, two weeks ago on Sunday, right after church that afternoon. We got to fly down to Mexico and spend a week uh, in a beautiful resort down there. Had a fantastic time. Uh, although, unfortunately, last weekend when we were due to fly back, uh, American Airlines was having problems with their flights across the country, and our flight was canceled. Uh, we were just about to leave the airport. We found out it had been canceled, and it was going to be two days before they could get us out. So we had to spend two extra days there. I've told a lot of people this story. I'm not getting much sympathy at all when I share the, the problem of having to spend two extra days in this resort on the ocean. But it was, it was tragic. But... Um, <laughs> We had a great time, and one of the things that Case and I used to do every morning was we'd go down to breakfast, and um, we found out very early on that one of our favorite things to eat at breakfast was these croissants they had. Do you like the way I said that? Kind of my French accent, croissant? Because, um, of course, Mexico were famous for their croissants. And um, Casey had the chocolate one, and I had the regular one, and um, I, I learned, which I've already forgotten the words for bread, for butter and jam, it's mantequilla and man something or other, uh, because I had to ask for that to go with my croissant. Casey learned that if you put the chocolate one through the little toaster thing, it just kind of warms it up, melts the chocolate, and it was just brilliant. So every day, it was just a great way to start our day there with these beautiful um, croissants. Um, so much so that on the last day, it was my job to go to the restaurant before we left for the airport with some baggies and um, fill them with some of these chocolate croissants that came with us, and I think finally have all disappeared at this point. But... I'm telling that story because 2,000 years ago, Jesus was teaching one day uh, to a group of people on a mountainside, and uh, we know it as the Sermon on the Mount, and you can read about it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And uh, in this amazing time of teaching, he was talking about things like helping the poor, fasting, uh, not to worry, not to judge others, many other things. But one of the most memorable things he talked about in this was um, prayer. And I say memorable because he actually taught us in this uh, teaching that day how to pray uh, and kind of gave us a template on prayer. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with that prayer. If you haven't learned it yourself or memorized it, maybe you've seen it on a plaque or on a painting on the wall. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you can see a picture of it right there. It's the Our Father who art in heaven prayer. And in this prayer, he talks about eating croissants for breakfast every morning. Um, now, depending on which version you use, in your version, it may say, give us this day our daily bread. But for Casey and I last week, our daily bread each morning was these beautiful, warm chocolate croissants. But Matthew 6, verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. And I think this part of the prayer might be one of the things that sounds so basic that we're actually missing the depth of what Jesus was actually teaching us to pray in that moment. Because I think it was more than just eating our daily bread. You see, you've got to remember, he's talking here to, to thousands of people at the time. He's on a hillside, and there's crowds of people gathered around. And all of these people, they've gathered to hear him teach on these different things. But what we've got to remember is the context of who these people were. You see, these people listening would have been, for the most part, Jewish people. And hearing him talk about this would, would take them back to some, some things in their culture, some memories in their culture of stories, history of their ancestors and the way that God had worked in their history in the past. What we would call uh, today the Old Testament. 
So they would be familiar with some, um, something a little bit deeper than just this idea of give us this day our daily bread. When they heard that, they would go back to uh, uh, something that happened within the history of their ancestors a thousand years before. They would have gone back and reflected on uh, something that was called the Exodus out of Egypt. The time when Moses led the Israelites out of slavery and into the promised land. Now, if you weren't here last week, um, Whitney spoke. She did a fantastic job. Um, It was a really, really good message. And she talked about Moses and how God had called him into this uh, crazy adventure to lead the Israelites out of there. And, And I would really recommend, if you didn't get to hear that, going online and listening to that. It was a really, really good message. But she introduced us last week to Moses and how how he was chosen for this mission. But now I want to kind of jump ahead a little bit to where he found himself on this mission. He's now in the desert, leading all of these Israelites on this journey. And in Exodus 16, verse verse 4 and verse 31, he says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day, and the people of Israel called the bread manna. Now, that might be the first time you've ever heard that. Maybe you've heard that before, that when the Israelites were working their way through the desert, that God was providing for them food every day. It was bread, and they they called it manna, manna from heaven. So that one little line that Jesus taught in that prayer about giving us this day, our daily bread, had so much more depth than maybe we realize when we read it today. Because really, what Jesus was doing was he was referring back to this time in Israel's history when people had to depend completely upon God. When they've been taken out of Egypt and slavery, they're in the wilderness, there is no source of food around, and literally every day God provided bread from heaven for them. Jesus is saying, give us this day our daily bread in the same way that you provided for our ancestors hundreds of years ago. This short part of the prayer was actually more about the idea of radical and extreme dependence. This idea of being in a place of completely depending upon God. And I was thinking about that as I was preparing for this message because if we're honest with ourselves, dependence... Dependence upon God, dependence in our lives, it's not really a word that that we warm to very easily, is it? I mean, maybe when we think of the word dependence, we think of it in a negative context first. We think about chemical dependency, codependency, being dependent upon someone else. In fact, the only time dependence seems to be a good word is at tax time when you're counting how many dependents you have and how much money you might get back as a result of it. Many of us couldn't wait till we were old enough to not be dependent on our parents anymore. The founding document of this country is the Declaration of Independence. I forget who it's from, but um, that's, that's not important now. <laughs> I feel like independence is something that, that we're trying to cultivate. It's kind of in our DNA. We want to be independent, and yet here's Jesus encouraging us to pray a prayer that's more than just about bread. It's about being completely dependent. It's everyday dependence upon God. And it's probably easy to miss when we just say the Lord's Prayer. 
Because like me, maybe you assumed that in reading that, that that line of the prayer was probably not so much for you. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, I've got bread. I checked the freezer, I checked the pantry. We're, we're doing okay. And let's be honest, even if we were low on food that week, we could leave, we could head to McDonald's, and as long as you stick to the dollar menu, for about $14, you could get plenty of daily bread for your entire family. So maybe we assume that when Jesus was teaching us to pray that way, that that line was geared more towards people who are starving, people around the world who, who don't have much and are crying out to God saying, God, we need bread to survive today. And, and that was the line for them. But I don't think that was the purpose of Jesus putting that line in the prayer. I think that line was for all of us, wherever we find ourselves economically this morning. Because Jesus was trying to teach us this idea of dependence, of saying, God, provide for me today in the same way that you provided for the Israelites hundreds of years ago. When they had to be completely and utterly dependent on you because they were literally in a desert with no option of food. And if you hadn't have provided, they would have gone without. And even though I have food in the pantry and money in my bank account, Lord, I, I still, I want to get to a place where I'm completely dependent upon you. Because Jesus taught in another part of the New Testament, in John 15, verse 5, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I was talking about that this morning. We had a prayer time here in the service with our worship team and uh, the folks who kind of work together to make this service happen. We pray every Sunday before the service. And uh, I said, you know, here's the challenge, guys. All of us know well enough how the lights work, how the sound works. We've got some very talented musicians. You know, we could easily step out this morning and in our own strength do what we would do every other Sunday. I said, but I'll be honest with you, I don't want to do that. I want to be completely dependent on God. I want to say, God, I don't want to do this because I can do it. I want to do this because you are equipping me to do this. The author C.S. Lewis, um, you may have heard of him. He wrote all the Narnia books. But listen to what he said about this idea of um, what it's like to be completely dependent upon Jesus, to, to understand that apart from him, we can do nothing. He said, a car is made to run on gasoline. And it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designs the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. And I love that idea. You know, something dependence on God is a, a crutch for weak people, but I think it's the opposite. I think it's just simply how we were designed to run, to be utterly dependent upon him in our lives. So when we pray that prayer, give us this day our daily bread, this is really just a prayer for us to express to God, God, I acknowledge that everything I have in my life is because of you. And I wanna be completely dependent upon you. I don't wanna pray, you know, oh, oh parents, thank you for all you've given me. Caterpillar, OSF, thank you for what you've given me. I mean, yes, in many ways, that's where we see provision in our lives. But the reality is, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I think we recognize that whether it's our job, where we were born, our situation in life, that God truly has blessed us. And I want to live in a place where I acknowledge that. 
where I don't take that for granted, where I don't just forget, God, you've blessed me with so much. I want to, re- I want to remember that, and I want to be dependent on what you've given me. Because when we do that, it changes the way we think about everything in our life. Listen to what Jesus says a little bit later in that same passage. After speaking about prayer, he talks about worry, but I think the two go hand in hand. Because he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 27, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? I believe that when we learn to understand what it means to be completely dependent on God, it it takes away some of the fear. Because we realize we're not dependent upon a salary, the stock market, the economy, whatever may happen. That'll always rise and fall. But God has shown himself over hundreds and thousands of years to be reliable, to be dependent, to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. To be there for us if we're willing to be dependent completely upon him. But if we're going to talk about the fact that God has promised to meet our needs, there is an important question we probably have to ask this morning, and that is, how much do I need? How much do I need? When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, exactly how much bread are we expecting? I can remember when my kids were younger, uh, one of their uh, favorite things to learn uh, as kids growing up was uh, the difference between a need and a want. So there would come times where uh, our younger kids would come to us and say, Dad, Dad, Mom, Dad, I need this game for my iPod. Dad, I need this toy that's just come out. I need this new download on the Xbox. And, and my wife, Casey, in this kind of Yoda-like way, would say, you know, Mrs. K in government economics used to teach me that a need is something you can't live without. And they just loved hearing that. That really kind of put them at ease. And they were like, okay, that's, I get it, Mom. Thank you. You are so wise. <laughs> they hated it. But um, if we're honest this morning... Many of us are just a bunch of big kids. Our consumeristic culture, it blasts us with ads every day to tell us what we need to be happy and we spend and we spend and sometimes we overextend in order to meet our needs, which really, as Mrs. K would tell us this morning, are actually just wants. And actually, this idea of not being satisfied of God providing what we need even traces back to those Israelites when they were in the wilderness. So I'm doing a a college class right now, and um, the the class we're doing right now is on Old Testament theology, and and the book I've just finished reading uh, the last couple of weeks and talking about in our class is Scripture, Agriculture, and Culture, an Agrarian Reading of the Bible. It's fascinating. It's a real page turner. I'm sure uh, many of you are uh, excited to want to read that one yourselves. But it talks a lot about the Old Testament and what God was doing in the lives of the Israelites in the Old Testament. And the author, she points out that it wasn't long after the Israelites left Egypt and they're in the wilderness and God is providing food for them every day that they begin to complain. 
And you've got to think, why on earth will they be complaining? They've literally just been rescued by God. The seas parted, you know, I mean, it's miraculous. They've been taken out of slavery. But listen, Numbers 11, verses 1 and 4, soon the people began to complain about their hardship. And the Lord heard everything they said. The Israelites, the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. The good things of Egypt? They were slaves in Egypt. What good things could they possibly been craving? But the author explains that even though they were slaves in Egypt and lived in misery, they still had more than enough when it came to food. Because Egypt was a land of excess and plenty, and even the slaves had so much to eat and drink. And now they found themselves in the wilderness with just enough for each day, and they start to complain. In fact, you can read that some of them, even though they were instructed just to take what they needed for that day, they would take more bread than they needed and hide it and store it and stash it. And the next morning, they would wake up to find that it had spoiled. Because God said, I'm gonna give you enough for each day. And I think that's what Jesus was alluding to in his prayer. When he was encouraging us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, it was give us today what we need. And maybe as we draw close to Christmas and Black Friday and this consumeristic time of the year, it might be a good time to pause and, and ask ourselves that question, well, how much is enough for me? How much is enough? You know, how, how excessive can I be sometimes with what I expect in my daily bread? And the truth is, God has blessed many of us here this morning. And I'm in no way suggesting the, that we are wrong to, to, to seem to have so much in our lives. That's not the case at all. But when you're completely dependent upon God, you look at what he's given you in a different way. Because you say, God, you've blessed me so much. There's a reason you've blessed me so much. In fact, when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. Not give me my daily bread. Give us, because there was a community sense to this. Because I think in, in the New Testament times, and even going back to the times of Moses, there was this, this spirit of community where, where people recognized a responsibility they had to help others. Jesus talked about the people in their midst, the poor, and what they could do to help other people. And I think this is one of those moments. And this is a great opportunity for us as we come up to Christmas. And we've been doing this now for the last few years, actually ever since we launched back in 2013 at Connect, looking for ways that we as a church can bless others during this time of the year. Because the truth is, wherever we find ourselves this morning, I think every one of us would acknowledge that we are blessed, that God has really blessed us in our lives. And as a result of that, we could say, you know, as a follower of Jesus, I want to look to how I can use that blessing to help others. So you'll never hear us here at Connect say you're wrong for spending money at Christmas or you're wrong for buying your kids Christmas gifts. We, we love Christmas. We love celebrating. We love seeing our uh, kids opening gifts on Christmas Day. But for us as a family, you know, we tried to have practices growing up when our kids were younger where we, we showed our kids, you know, hey, um, maybe we don't need as much. Or maybe we should together as a family do this to help this family. Or we would look for ways to give back during that Christmas time. So we've got a great opportunity coming up in a couple of weeks here. Uh, we did it last year, and maybe some of you weren't here last year when we did this, but uh, we're going to do it again this year. We call it Give 2021. Give 2021. 
So it's, um, it's something we did last year. And as you can see, we've changed the graphic completely. Now, last year it was Give 2020. This year we've changed the zero to a one and we added a penny. So it's, uh, it's really changed quite a lot since last year. But for those who weren't here last year, let me explain uh, the concept of Give 2021. So we've chosen um, four local organizations that I'm going to tell you about in just a second. And uh, our challenge is that for every family here at Connect, everyone uh, here at Connect, if you want to be a part of this, then we're going to ask you to give $20.21 for every member of your family. So if there's a couple of you, that will be $40.42. If there's five of you, that will be $100 and $101.05. Is that close? That sounded about right. So you can do the math yourself. Um, And we did the math. We figured it out. Just looking at the last three months of people who have given here at Connect, we found out that um, 155 unique families gave over the last five months, and those families made up 500 people. So if just those people who have given over the last three months gave $20.21 for every family member, we'd get $10,700, which is fantastic. That'll make a huge difference in these four organizations I'm going to tell you about in a moment. Now, for some families, you might be here this morning, you're doing the math because you've got six children. You're like, man, this can be pretty expensive. So you may not be able to do the full amount, but then there are other families, maybe it's just the two of you, and God has blessed you, and you're like, I think I want to do $200.21 or $2,000.21. You may get creative here. But let me tell you, whatever you choose to give, it will make a huge difference in the lives of others this Christmas time. Because there are four organizations we've chosen to help this Christmas time. The first one is Dream Center Peoria. So many of you know Dream Center Peoria. Uh, We talked to Andy King, the director of Dream Center, and he said there's a specific need they have. They do an after-school program that works with teenagers and middle schoolers, and they come after school, and they have a meal, and they have some um, interaction with one another, and then there's some different opportunities they get, some trades they get to learn, and some some real hands-on practical experience that will help them so one day when they graduate high school, they're more set up um, to succeed in life. You're going to hear more about each of these over the coming weeks, but I'm just kind of letting you know this is coming two weeks from today. The second organization is Compassion. Uh, We love Compassion. This is a global organization. Uh, The money that we send to them will help children living in poverty in countries like Ecuador and South America and will make a huge difference in their lives. The third is another organization here in town called Threads Hope and Love. They do a big thing every Christmas, and I spoke to the lady who runs that this week, and she said last year they were able to um, buy gifts for 477 children from under-resourced families. But they can't do that without the support of folks like us. So we want to help make sure that they can have another great Christmas impacting people's lives this year. All three of these so far have had kind of a a children and teenager aspect, because I think if we're honest with ourselves, when... We look at under-resourced situations, poverty, that very often it's the children who suffer the most. So this is a great opportunity for us at Christmas time to bless those who, who maybe feed it the most. And then as we were talking and thinking and praying as a staff about another great organization in the area to help, we actually came up with this idea because we, we love these people, and that is the schools down at District 50. 
So if you're familiar with the schools down in District 50, um, we've got many teachers, students that come from that area, and we love that school. And very often, of the three schools, sometimes they're the ones that um, have a harder time, you know, being able to supply all they, they want to be able to supply, do everything they want to be able to do within their school. So we approached uh, the principal there of one of the schools and said, hey, if we could include you, is there something, is there a project that you'd love to do that right now you can't do because the funds just aren't there? And he told me, he says, you know, we've been thinking and and what we'd love to do is this idea we've had where we would provide a brand new book for every student between fourth and sixth grade every month during the school year. Put a book in that. That's something we would love to do. We just do not have the funds to be able to do it. I said, well, we would love to help you do that. So all the money that we raise through Give 2021 will be split between these four organizations and will make a huge difference in all of them. And it goes back to this idea of this very simple prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. This idea that Jesus, we we acknowledge that you are the provider in our lives. You've given us so much. We want to learn what it looks like to become completely dependent upon you. To look to you and you alone for what we have in our lives. And because we're completely dependent upon you, we want to know what it looks like to have the responsibility of what to do with what you've blessed us with. And I'm going to be honest, I think that's a great question to ask 365 days of the year. But as we come up to Thanksgiving and Black Friday and Christmas and all these consumeristic challenges that are out there, what better time to say, God, show me what it looks like to be dependent upon you, and to take the ways in which you've blessed me to bless others. So I knew all this week that I was going to be speaking about what it looked like to be dependent upon God. I've been thinking about it since I was preparing my message, you know, what what that would look like in my life to to fully be dependent upon God, to understand that um, apart from me, You can do nothing, Jesus said. The idea of what it looks like to be dependent upon him completely. And it's difficult. It's hard to to live live that out because if we're honest with ourselves, we, we like to be independent. We like to figure things out ourselves. We like to be able to say, I did this, I did that. But I think when we follow Jesus, it's it's acknowledging Jesus, I could do this by myself, but I want to do it with you. I need you in my life. And knowing I was going to speak on this, I was at a, a, a funeral yesterday that I'm going to tell you about in a second. And, and in hearing one of the stories in this funeral, I thought, I'm going to share that story tomorrow because this illustrates completely where I want to be in my relationship with God, hopefully where you want to be in your relationship with God as well. So a um, long time ago, about 15 years ago, we, um, well, leading up to 15, we left there 15 years ago, so the seven years before that, we were working with a church up in the northwest suburbs of um, Chicago in Lake Zurich, Casey and I. We were working with a youth group there, and in the youth group, there was a, a young man by the name of Al, and Al was a great guy. He was probably a sophomore, junior at the time, and just a really great member of the youth group, and one day, he showed up to youth group, and he brought with him this other young man from school. His name was Ryan Carroll. So I'm going to put a picture of Ryan Carroll up on the screen because Ryan is the young man who sadly passed away this week. So Ryan, Ryan had special needs, um, but he was just the sweetest, loveliest guy you would ever meet. 
just full of life, full of fun, just, just a brilliant, brilliant young man. And he passed away this week, and I traveled up there to be there for the funeral, and Al actually got to share in the funeral. And in the funeral, Al shares some just lovely stories, just some funny stories about Ryan in high school. Ryan was the guy who, um, whether you were dating, engaged, married, he, he's like, I'm going to steal your woman. That's me. I'm, I'm after your woman. I'm going to get her. Like he was, you know, a ladies' man. Uh, he liked to think of himself as very strong. He was always wanting to arm wrestle. And I remember one youth event we did where uh, he arm wrestled the lead youth pastor, Dave Mudd, a friend of mine. And um, they were up on the stage, and suddenly in comes the intro music, Eye of the Tiger, and Ryan comes in, and someone had given him this muscle suit. He's wearing these big muscles, and he came up, and, and uh, he beat Dave Mudd, miraculously, and uh, they carried him out on their shoulders. It was just this amazing event. And then he told a story as well how Ryan used to be on the track and field team, and Ryan ran the mile, which was four times around the track. And uh, he said, now I say he ran the mile, really he just kind of walked around the track, but every time he got to the grandstand, he would run really fast in front of the crowds, uh, and then he would go back to walking again. He said inevitably he'd get to the third time round and he'd tell the officials he was done, and they'd say, no, you've still got one more, and he would argue with them, saying, no, I've done four, they said, no, you've done three, and finally, all right, fine, fine, <laughs> you're done, you're finished. But Al told this story about Ryan. And he said, you know, there are many funny stories I could tell, he said, but there's also a lot that we can learn from Ryan. He said, one of the things we can learn from Ryan, he says, I remember when I was in high school, Ryan and I went to Woodfield Mall in Schaumburg. We were just out shopping, just the pair of us. And I'd never been there with him before, he said, and we were just kind of wandering around, checking out the shops, having a good time. And then we got to the escalators, got to the next level. He said, I could sense Ryan next to me kind of tense up a little bit and get nervous. He said, I didn't know why, but as we got to the bottom of the escalators, Ryan kind of tugged on my arm, and he just said, hey, uh, would you hold my hand? He said, yeah, because Ryan was super nervous about going on the escalator, so Al held his hand. He said, when we got onto the escalator, he said, and I, I held his hand the whole way up until we got off. He said, in that moment, he said, I was thinking about Ryan this week, and I remembered that story and thought how hard it would be for me to ask something like that. But Ryan, he needed that help, he needed that assurance, he needed that comfort, and he said, would you hold my hand? When Al told that story, I knew what I was speaking about this morning. I said, God, I want to be Ryan. I want to be in a place where I'm like, God, would you hold my hand? I don't want to be so dependent that I can do this, I've got this. I want to be able to never be ashamed or embarrassed or, or at a point of saying, God, I need help in this area of my life. I want to be the best I can. And I thought about it, and we can all be Ryan, and we can all be Al. Because Al also, as a 16-year-old boy in the middle of Woodfield Mall, <laughs> wasn't embarrassed to hold Ryan's hand on the escalator. Because he knew it would be helping someone at that time. It's, it, this give 2021, some of us, this is an opportunity for us to hold the hand of a child we may never meet and make a difference in their lives. But when it comes to being dependent upon God, I want to be like Ryan. Say, God, I need you in my life. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And if we're honest, Lord, we, we can be guilty. There's a time showing up on a Sunday morning and singing how much we love you and thinking about how much we love you. And then we just get right back into life and we just carry on. And the reality is, Lord, you are as close to us on a Monday morning as you are as a Sunday right now.
But sometimes, Lord, we forget that. And we start to do things ourselves, And we do fine. And we do okay. And then we, we hit a hurdle or a speed bump. And then we suddenly turn back to say, God, I need your help here. Help me with this. Help me with this situation. And the reality is, Lord, you've been there all the time. And you still love to help us. But help us to, to genuinely pray that prayer every day. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need. Be with us, Lord, because we want to do this with you today. We want to be completely dependent upon you today, the same way the Israelites were in the desert, just relying wholly upon you. Help us to do that. Help us to be like Ryan. Not afraid to ask. Not afraid to acknowledge that we need you in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.